0: The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please. Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her triggered to transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's MindfulMamaMentor.com slash retreat.
1: This isn't just a feel-good idea. This isn't about permissive parenting. This isn't about just being gentle and letting your child do what they want. This is about finally understanding
0: that nervous systems matter. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 353. Today, we're talking about emotional regulation for kids and parents with Mona Delahook. Of kids. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. So glad you are here today. This is an awesome episode. But listen, if you haven't yet done so, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you have ever gotten anything from this podcast, please do me a quick favor. Go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. It just helps the podcast grow more. It just takes about 10 seconds, and I really, really greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. We are uh, closing in on 2 million downloads of the Mindful Mama podcast, my friend. And that's amazing. That's all happened because of you, because of this amazing audience sharing it and growing the podcast all co- totally organically. And if you can get leave that review, that helps that grow more. We're going to jump over that 2 million download mark. Yay. It'd be so exciting. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with my friend, Mona Della Hook, who is a licensed clinical psychologist with more than 30 years of experience caring for children and their families. She's a senior faculty member at the Profectum Foundation and a member of the American Psychological Association. She's the author of her first book is Beyond Behaviors, Using Brain Science and Compassion to Understand and Solve Children's Behavioral Problems. And her new book is Body-Brain Parenting, How to Stop Managing Behavior and Start raising joyful, resilient kids. So I love talking to Mona, and we had the chance after our conversation to meet up in person in L.A., and she's now one of my parenting world BFFs because we had an amazing time, and I just love her so much. And you are going to love her, too. We're going to be talking about that holy grail. Of parenting, helping our kids regulate their emotions. But you know, how do we do that, right? And we're also gonna be talking about how do we know if your child is deliberately testing boundaries or having a fight, flight, or freeze stress response, right? So if you've wondered about this, you are in luck because this is what we are going to talk about today. So join me at the table as I talk to Mona Della Hook. All right, Simone do you want me to call you Mona or Dr. Delahook? Mona. All right. Mona. You can use my
1: my full title in the intro.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll do that whole thing afterwards. Yeah. But please call me Mona. Okay. Sounds good. Well, welcome. Thank you for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so excited to be here, Hunter.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. So you are a clinical psychologist. You've been working for more than 30 years with children and families. Obviously you've got a passion for this. What, what made you get into this? Was it, was it, what, what made you get started? Well, um, yeah, I do have a passion for it. And once
1: I realized that I loved, um, babies and toddlers, um, and, I had three, but I didn't want to go on to having 10, which could have been easily me because it was so fun. Um, I decided to specialize in early development, infant and toddler development. So um, that even increased my passion. And that was over 25 years ago. And that's when I started to study the body. Um, Because when you're talking about early development, all you have is the body. And I learned about the work of the autonomic nervous system, one of our nervous systems, um, through someone who became a friend of mine, Dr. Stephen Porges, who has developed the polyvagal theory. So I integrated the body into my practice um, and for about a couple decades and then um became pretty um aware that our education system and even my field of mental health was still very top down was still Mm -hmm. very you know judgmental and shaming of parents and even of children who had challenging behaviors so i decided um to to start to document that. And I started a blog and I I wrote a book called Beyond Behaviors um, that talked about the role of the body and also the difference between a stress response and a purposeful misbehavior. And um, I just, you and your book, your amazing book came out in 2019, mine did as well. And you talked about a stress response and this is coming from people who are in body mind, right? Mm -hmm. It's so revolutionary and that's my passion. That's what gets me up in the morning. Um, And I'm also kind of, (laughs) well, I'm with you.
0: Oh my God, right there. (laughs) Oh my
1: gosh. Right. Isn't it? It's, you know, it is, it's almost everything. I think understanding the bigger picture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The whole body. I mean, we have this conception that we're just gonna, and this is what our culture tells us. Like everything is just a choice and it's all this like kind of top down thing. And it's kind of the way our culture has been for hundreds of years, but it's yeah. not, there's so much to understand about the biology, the nervous system. And I love that your book approaches it and teaches parents about the kid's nervous system and our own nervous system. I mean, cause this is so, so vital.
1: Well, it's so so vital, and you know, I, I there I I honestly wish there wasn't a need for for that book that I wrote because in there I have s- dozens of stories about children, and and like you said, like uh, um, a a microcosm of our culture is the education system, and mm-hmm. the children in my practice that I knew were having stress behaviors due to their body's interpretation of the world around them, including the adults. Um, was not due to purposeful misbehavior, but then they were being treated with these expensive um, plans that involved timeouts and ignoring them. And those things that we know stress the nervous system even more.
0: You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch. And I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Ritual's Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, Project Verified, gluten and major allergen-free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower carbon packaging, they prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's essential for women 18 plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com mindful for 25% off.
2: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them
0: So yeah. I want to go back to basics here for the yeah. listener. So Good. that you know, you talked about this top-down judgmental shaming approach, and you talked about how, you know, in in your first book, you talk about kind of going beyond behaviors, and I love that idea. Talking about the, how the idea that, I mean, to me, as I started to understand this in a in a very simple way, it was like, oh yeah, our kids' nervous system fight, flight, or freeze. is like, that's like pretty much, that's like the fully developed system when they're born, right? Because that's the most vital, keep you alive system. And so fight, flight, or freeze, like those are a bunch of behaviors that happen from a nervous system response. And is, is this what you're talking about? This idea that moving beyond this idea of misbehavior and looking at what is underneath this behavior, because I think that a lot of us, you know, this is still filtering in, like we're not we're not totally there yet, as far as like fully accepting this idea. So tell me a little bit more about that basic piece.
1: Yeah. So unbelievably, it has not filtered in yet into our general culture. Um, And I'm excited about uh, depositing it into the parenting parenting world um, with, you know, a hefty amount of science only because that's how you, I think that's how you get acceptance. It's like, no, this isn't just a feel good idea. This isn't about permissive parenting. This isn't about just being gentle or or letting your child do what they want. This is so much more than that. This is about finally understanding that nervous systems matter. And um, I think the, the the piece that is just giving me so much energy around this is that It's not just um, about the autonomics, like the fight fight or flee or or freeze, but the work of Lisa Feldman Barrett Mm. is very popular. Her work is taking off like lightning. It it segs into this and it adds another dimension. So I am so excited about this time. And I also just honor, like you found this journey through, seeing how well it works. And I found this journey through seeing how once we do this, it worked with hundreds and almost thousands of patients that I've seen over the past 30 years. So uh, as much as I loved my private practice, I had to start writing because I really want it to filter into our general culture more.
0: That's so awesome. And, and Mona's mentioning Lisa, Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett. She was on episode 267, dear listener, amazing episode. So make sure you go back and listen to it, but what, what you're saying. So, and you open your book with a story of a parent who's, uh, she's an, uh, a a teacher of young kids, right? So she knows about how to deal with kids and she's totally frustrated with her child. And she's using some of the tools she knows from her classroom. She's using the, you know, the sticker reward chart. She's, you know, trying to distract her child. They have, there's a big meltdown. And maybe we can apply this idea of like the, the, what's happening in the child's nervous system to the behavior kind of with that example.
1: Yeah, great. And uh, just an incredible, first of all, I know you're in this boat of no blame, no shame. This is no blame, no shame. This was an amazing mom, a teacher, you know, a well-organized classroom. And so she just used all her skills for to getting to help her kid, her child prevent a tantrum and it, and it didn't. Um, so so the way we can think about it, I think, is is asking ourselves in the moment a simple question and that is, is this a top down, motivated, intentional, purposeful behavior? Or is this a bottom up or a body up behavior? We mm. know that these um, automatic, very fast behaviors, like in the tar- they were at, at Target and all of a sudden he got into such a state that he chucked the candy bar and it hit the cashier in the face. It was horrible Boy. for everyone involved, right? <laughs> everyone was humiliated. But let's think about this. We don't really distinguish body up from top down behaviors. So, uh, you know, that's one thing we can do right away. We can think about is the body precipitating this behavior because it is suddenly in the sympathetic nervous system, or what I call the red pathway. It 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 the child or the adult we don't choose that pathway. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: The
1: body chooses it for us. It's a protective pathway, even though the results can be horrible. So I try to help parents understand that, first of all, let's figure out where we are, where our body is, if we are sturdy enough, if we are present enough, if we're not so triggered or activated ourselves, because those behaviors, like when your child injures someone, that can cause us so much shame. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. trigger ourselves mm-hmm. so it's a, it's really a way of looking at behaviors through this holistic brain body lens and starting to find so much more self compassion for us for myself as a parent and also for my child and less blame because we understand the ideology i talk about behaviors as the tip of the iceberg that's just mm-hmm. a little tip but what's underneath is where we get our true answers
0: Okay. So you're looking at this situation with this, this parent and saying, you know, it looks like this chucking of the, the candy bar was something that probably was motivated by the body, right? The child's feeling threatened, you know, the, the stress response is being activated. The child's motivated. How do parents, how do parents tell in a moment like that? Like you're saying, like, ask this question. A lot of us are in, you know, we're in a, a culture that, you know, that assumes that kids are manipulating parents, like, and assumes that like there, we have a lot of like power struggles in our culture, right? Like as far as like, who's in control and, and whatnot. Right. And And so it it can be, I imagine it's going to be really hard for a lot of parents to be able to tell, you know, is, is this something, a top-down thing my child's choosing versus is it like a body motivated behavior? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the way we know the difference um, is through something called biomarkers and all biomarkers are, are the things we observe on our child's body. It'll tell us the difference between a motivated behavior that is you know, thoughtfully thought out might be limit testing, which children do when we want them to, because that's part of growing up. Right. And a stress response, a stress behavior, which is not motivated. It is instinctual. So Mm -hmm. here's how you, here's how you know the difference. Um, A stress. Well, they're long lists and I describe it in a whole chapter in the book, but here's some basic Mm -hmm. biomarkers. Um, When you are in an activated uh, red pathway risk, you know, fight or flight, you will have the action will be very quick. It will be. It it could happen very fast, right? Mm-hmm. It just seems like one minute your child is okay, the next minute they're checking a candy bar at the cashier. Um, you also have different other physiological signs. The child might have sweat on their nose. They may, their heart rate may be going faster or it may be mm-hmm. irregular. They may have sweaty palms. Um, their the look on their face actually changes. The vagal nerve um, innervates different muscles in the face. So you might see eyes that are wide open or darting around. Um, you will mm-hmm. see um, the the upper, the upper face looks kind of activated. There may be growling or or screaming or yelling or mm-hmm. um, animal sounds, you know, all these different things that we can see on the body, including um, the last one I'll mention, uh, is the rate and rhythm of movement. So those behaviors that have a high movement, you know, like running away,
0: Mm, hitting, mm -hmm.
1: spitting, kicking, those behaviors that are so hard for us as parents, Mm. those are typically um, through our biomarkers, we can, we can consider those stress behaviors and not motivated behaviors.
4: Well, Hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier? Your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood.
0: And
1: then do you yeah. want me to give you an example of the
0: other kind or not? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great because I'm trying to imagine like a kind of a top-down motivated behavior. I can imagine, I can picture like my yo- a young child like looking at me straight in the eye and taking that cup and going, you know, and just dumping it over. Like that would be like, that one I would interpret as like, you have chosen this child. <laughs> Right on. Exactly.
1: Exactly. That would be a perfect example of a toddler behavior, right? Or, Mm -hmm. or, or later, you know, there, there's thoughtfulness, you're grading your movements. This is a scientist. This is a little scientist going, I'm going to experiment here. I'm going to see what kind of reaction there's going to be, and I'm going to do it on purpose. So Mm -hmm. that's a, Hunter, that's a perfect uh, example and that could have been this little guy you know the next day because he was four so you know that is a, a very good example in an older child it might look like um so you've you've put the ipad away for the night and they know the cupboard it's in and they know you fell asleep so your middle schooler may go and find that ipad and sneak it out and play video games because they know you're asleep that's a very good testing behavior very expected. And of course we would have different consequences for that. than if a child was suddenly on the couch and they get a, a shaming, um, message on their IG feed and all of a sudden they throw the iPad across the room because their nervous system has just detected threat.
0: Mm, Okay. Yeah. And this is so fascinating. I mean, and this is what you're teaching is so beautiful because I mean, this is like, what I'm teaching to parents, right. Is that like, when we have these quick responses, when we're losing it, we're, we're yelling or we're, you know, swatting at our kids. These, these are, a lot of this is not something we would choose. It's not something we would consciously choose. It's an, it's our nervous system and it's not something that we should be blaming and shaming ourselves for, but we do have to kind of take responsibility for, right? Like these are, these are our actions, but it's not, it's not like anyone chose. it wasn't like you made a conscious choice to, to, to scream at your kids. Right. So, so, and we can look at our kids' behavior the same way. They're not making that conscious choice to huck that candy bar or to like kick their brother. You know, I mean, a lot of times, it, a lot of those behaviors that we get so frustrated with are probably these body-motivated behaviors. I imagine that's what you're seeing.
1: Absolutely. And I love what you said. It's It applies to us just as much as it applies to our children. It's a human thing. It's not just a child thing. And I think once we realize, like I have a story in the book, once we realize it's all of us that we can be more uh gentle with ourselves and more self-compassionate. Uh, in the book I had a story of of I was just on my wits end long day picking up children at the line and one of my three didn't want to get in the car and I broke I just picked her up very roughly kind of threw her in the car you know I, and and I screamed <laughs> and there was I'll never forget the look on the face of a mom that I knew. She heard the scream and she looked at me with horror. And I, oh my gosh, can you imagine that? You know, I was thinking I am the world's worst person and nonetheless, I'm a therapist. So I should just, <laughs> I should just pack it in and forget this whole mothering thing. But I'm, I'm sure we can all kind of ima- um, think about times where we've lost it. And that was a good example. Um, in the words of, of uh, Dr. Barrett, my body budget was Gone. I left it mm-hmm. all on the on the therapy couch. I left it all at work. I had nothing left and it was up to me um, to develop awareness and self-compassion and this awareness of my physical um, needs actually because I think as moms we often, and possibly dads too, of course, like we often as parents are stretched and we don't know it because our culture Tells us that our brain and body are not connected. You know, they we are we are are reinforced for ignoring our body signals, you know, by working long hours and um, you know production having a lot of production. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's such a it just takes the load off of us. I think it gives us more compassion for ourselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean to understand that. Yeah we all have this nervous system. We got to deal with it, you know, and we've got to yeah, we got to take care of ourselves. Or you know, I've been there. I remember like crying at the, arriving at the school, giving, giving this amazing, wonderful teacher, my child, and then bursting into tears because of pure relief. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Cute, thank you. And I walk Oh my gosh. The but this is, I just want to like reiterate. So so Mona's talking about the work of Lisa Feldman Barrett And Lisa says that there talks about how our brain is geared, wired, our whole body, right, is it's wired for survival. And that we our brain is looking at our body, our body's budget of energy, of resources, of like nutritious food, right? Like gl- glucose and salts, whatever it translates into, like in yes. the chemistry of it, right? And yes. saying you know, you need resources here, you need resources here. And when we, when we run out, then we're, as we know, we are then uh, useless for our children. And that's, that's really where that piece about self-care is actually responsibility comes in.
1: Yeah. In her words, that's when you need a deposit into your body budget or your child's body budget. You don't need another withdrawal and so that realizing when we need a deposit as a parent i think is transformative because it uh it i think it helps us not land in those scary places that we don't really that we don't want to land in um and it also gives us more of a of of an understanding of children's behaviors and i still and you know like we said i think our culture is still struggling with this idea that of how much discipline or non-discipline do you give? And that's the wrong question. To me, the question is, is this uh, evidence of a depleted body budget and the child in need of support? Um,
0: yes. Yeah. I love that question. And I'd love to talk about a little bit about the, you know, in the very beginning, you mentioned the top-down approaches, the, you know, um that are judgmental and shaming of parents and kids, like you talked about, timeouts and ignoring are a lot of times not what kids need. Um, what what are some of the approaches that may be um, leftover approaches from the past that are still continued to be in use that aren't supportive? Of understand of understanding our kids, what are the things that we want to kind of watch out for that may be things that other other you know parenting coaches or books are recommending to us, or even the schools may be recommending to us. Yeah.
1: Well, I think uh, here's one that just the first one that comes to mind because I think it's it's very prevalent and it's a almost uh, a rule in the education system it seems to me, and that is that you should ignore inappropriate behaviors or ignore Mm -hmm. behaviors that you are deeming as um, non-compliant or whatever, you know, non-preferred, I should say, in in our Mm -hmm. education system. Like, do you ignore a a quote unquote bad behavior? And um, the, the new paradigm in thinking about that is that is what kind of behavior is this? And what I've witnessed over and over again in the school system is that those behaviors that are ignored are typically stress behaviors. Those are when children are either a depleted body budget or their nervous system is detecting threat, which is subconscious. There's something Mm -hmm. happening either in the sounds, in the movement in the room, or something inside their body that puts them onto the sympathetic fight or flight um, pathway. And then what an individual in that state needs is social engagement, is compassion, is witnessing an, an adult saying, oh, sweetheart, this is a situation. Let's see how we can help you. Mm. And mm-hmm. over and over again in our education system, even in our preschool and even in like things like Head Start, teachers are taught in, in their training to ignore such behaviors because they are there for getting quote unquote negative attention. Mm -hmm. And I'm dismantling that whole notion. I don't think there is such a thing as getting negative attention. Children want to please. As Ross Green says, children do well when they can. And I truly believe that. So there's an example, you know, ignoring behaviors is not, um, is, is really something I don't recommend because we want to pay attention to what's underlying the behavior. Remember, behaviors are the tip of the iceberg.
0: So I can imagine a parent listening to this and saying, well, my son, you know, goes and picks on his little sister when I'm giving child number three, some attention, right? Like when, and so he's wanting me to give attention to this through this behavior. How should I respond then? Because I don't want to reinforce it, right? We don't want to reinforce those behaviors, yeah, um
1: great question and great thinking based on what how we traditionally view behaviors. So a great question. And who can't relate to that? because things happen, especially when you add multiples and there's not just one child but another one, right? It's sibling rivalry is so it's so expected and it's really hard as well. So the mind shift would be, so you see child number, You're with a a baby, uh, maybe nursing or just taking care of a a younger, your youngest, and then you see child number two bugging child number three. And in your mind, you could think, oh my gosh, there they go again. I'm just going to ignore this because he's trying to get my attention. Or you can say, his little body is starting to feel antsy. I see the biomarkers. He's starting to move. His eyes don't look soft his his body, it looks tense. He's darting around the room, looking at me and then looking away from me. I think he's starting to get into a stress response. So what can I do with right now? What you can do in that moment is you don't change what you're doing. The baby needs you, of course. Um, mm-hmm. but you can be two places at once by letting the ch- by witnessing what the what you see. Mm-hmm. Oh sweetheart, here I am. Nursing the baby again, and I see that you're kind of trying to sit on sister's lap, and she doesn't want to. Hmm. all right, buddy. Hey, um, could you maybe uh go bring your coloring book and sit by me? I'd love to be mm-hmm. close to you. That's just an, you know, I'm just hmm. yeah, yeah, up. yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is, you can you can um witness what's motivating you can guess at what's motivating a child and we can choose to see it not as a misbehavior but as a stress behavior and sibling rivalry especially after you get a new baby in the house or if you've got you know multiple children is very common and of course we set we set family values and rules about how it's what is allowed between siblings and what's not part of our how our family does things and what's Behaviors are allowed or not allowed, but you can set nice, beautiful boundaries and be empathic for the underlying motivation at the same time.
0: I love that. It's that whole, you know, that what you're saying is like this child is having a moment of like, I need to be seen and heard. I'm feeling right. Like the needs are like, see me, hear me. And you're saying, yeah, stay there, nurse the baby or whatever it is. And you can see and hear the other child. I mean, and that it's like, kind of like, it's like name it to tame it. Right. We're acknowledging what's the reality right now. So rather than ignoring, we're acknowledging, Oh my goodness, I'm here with the baby. Oh my goodness. You're over there. You look like you got ants in your pants, buddy, you know, um, and we can start to just, and all of this, like, it always comes back to that, like, ability to, like, be aware, to be alert, right? To be able to be present. It's interesting.
1: Exactly.
0: And since you know Lisa,
1: um, I'll share with you her application to that. What's happening when that little guy is darting over, looking at you, um, and and starting to bug their sis- his sister or their sister is that... his brain is predicting that you are not available. So the brain is constantly Mm -hmm. predicting based on current information and past experiences. And this is beyond, not consciously, this is happening lightning seconds. So actually that brain's prediction is causing his body to move. It's causing the body to have this basic negative affect or feeling. And the movement is there to help him feel better. So you're absolutely right. If we can witness it with this deeper understanding of, ah, this is interesting, this is what's going on. And throw away our notions of negative attention and you need to clamp down harder and you're not being hard enough on your children. All of these things are still being told to parents by well-meaning family members or pediatricians. Like I see it all the time in my practice.
0: So there's a lot of confusion out there. So dear listener, watch out for the advice to ignore your kid. I would, uh, of course, I, I know, but I just want to say out loud that of course includes timeout kind of thing. This is, I mean, I know this isn't effective, but maybe you could tell us why this isn't effective from that body brain based position
1: from a body brain-based position, timeouts are generally given to children with the most egregious behaviors, egregious meaning activated. And that would be those red pathway behaviors that I call them like, um, you know, fight or flight behaviors are indications that the child needs a deposit and not a withdrawal. The worst Mm -hmm. withdrawal you can do to a human is take away you, is take away your attention. And so actually, if you give a child a timeout, when they are in that state, their bodies are going to feel worse. And it actually might begin to teach them. And, uh, you know, let me just say, first of all, no blame, no shame. I Mm -hmm. doled out timeouts when my children were young because I was trained that they were the best thing ever. So no Mm -hmm. blame, no shame. Okay. This is Mm -hmm. like, we have to just embrace ourselves. But just let me say from a neurodevelopmental perspective, if you give a child a timeout when they're highly activated, their biomarkers are going to get more agitated and they may learn that they have to stuff their feelings or Mm -hmm. pretend to be okay when they're actually not okay inside in order to get our attention again. And we really want to raise children who don't have to stuff their feelings and who can talk to us and be vulnerable with us so uh, that is I'd say that is when a timeout is not a good idea now let me just distinguish if Mm -hmm. if a child has done something that you feel they should think about if again Mm -hmm. if it was a motivated behavior if maybe they Mm -hmm. lied or or hurt someone's feelings I don't think there's anything wrong with saying sweetheart you know, maybe it'd be a good idea for you to, to go think about that for a little while. Maybe you want to take a walk or just to be with yourself. So I hmm. think that's a, you know, that might not hmm. be a timeout, but I really think that there is, that it's okay to let children be with themselves and think about stuff, but that's completely different than giving them a timeout for stress
0: behavior. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, that delineation. And you talk about that, like this is about in your book, like how this is about being aware of like individual differences with children. It's not about like, there's a a strategy that we follow all the time, like this like consistent "Quote unquote parenting strategy," but you're talking about awareness, bringing like really mindfulness, right? This uh, mindsets of of kindness and curiosity to, um, to what's really happening. This is interesting. So you raise kids like as you're learning all this, as you're doing all this clinical practice. Did this? How did this ch- like change the way you were parenting your own kids? Oh my goodness! <laughs> like
1: <laughs> night and day, I had. a a, a well-meaning pediatrician scared the daylights out of me on one of my children and she's saying I think she has this diagnosis you know the DSM is this bible of psychiatry and of course I knew exactly what she was saying it's like in that model it's like oh you child may have this I panicked and it was horrible and and the stress that you go through as a parent Um, when you hear something from a professional about your child is so enormous. So um, I'll never forget. I'll just tell you, Hunter, I'll never forget. I was sitting in a a study session at a colleague's house and we were talking about truly the difference between top-down and body-up behaviors. And it flashed in my head that this was my daughter. Everything that I was worried about, that I told her pediatrician about, who gave her a label, Mm. was not a psychiatric problem. It was her body's reaction to the world. Her detection of safety and threat in the world was different than mine. She was highly wired to detect things that I couldn't even hear or feel. And I remember just having tears running down my face. That was a seminal moment when I realized, oh my goodness, this is going to help my, my mothering and this is going to help my patients. And that was over two decades ago.
0: Wow, well, that's cool. So what changed? What did you do differently? Well, <laughs> I stopped giving timeouts.
1: <laughs> I, I think the, the internal change, the context, the story mm-hmm. I told myself, changed. Yeah. Before I'd be like, when my children were doing something, first thing I think is, can the neighbors hear the screaming, you know, (laughs) are they going to think, you know, because one of mine was a shrieker. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are the neighbors going to think? And, and are we, are, am I doing the right thing? Are my children polite and respectful? I was so concerned about, um, am I doing this right? And then it, what shifted was my lens then, like, for example, when, when w- one of my children refused to go to Disneyland, I was like, oh, this isn't just someone who's spoiled and doesn't want to go to Disneyland. There's a real reason here. It is completely overwhelming her nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so it led me to more compassion naturally. And um, years after that, I met someone who's like one of, one of my heroes, Kristen Neff. And I went to long retreats with her in the, near the um, Big Sur in the California coast and realized how beautifully self-compassion fits because it allows mm-hmm. us to see our children through a new lens. The science helps me know the mechanics behind what's going on, but the end result is more grounded relationships for life. And I'm... You know, my teach my children are my greatest teachers, and I'm so grateful to be to have the relationships that I have with my children now because of the lens shift, I think of less worry, less freaking out, less blame and and not thinking that it was my discipline or not being consistent enough. It wasn't that.
0: It was their body. It was their their needs their it was their, their individual differences. that's right. If yeah. every one of our children has these
1: unique differences. And this is, uh, oh my gosh, it's the the concept of interoception mm-hmm. that um, I talk about in the book is how our bodies are, are constantly sending feedback to our brain about what we're experiencing like 24 mm-hmm. seven. Mm-hmm. It's huge. That's going to help us help parents if they have Confusing behaviors in their children. This idea of interoception, of this body-up feedback, is is going to break things open.
0: I hope if it's if I have anything to do with it. Well, for interoception, right? Is this, as far as I know, it is the sense of. How you're sensing the inside of your body, which is kind of interesting, right? Because most of our senses are trained to the outside of our body, right? For survival. So we don't have a lot of like I like, for instance, I really can't feel my kidneys, or whatever, right? right. No. You um, would I would want to. I would want to, right. But um, but we can sense inside our body, right? We can sense our muscles. Tight, maybe in our shoulders or our jaw, you can sense muscles tightening and blood flow and things like that. But it's not something that we are often feeling. And so I know from a mindfulness perspective that this sense of interoception, mindfulness really builds this sense of like being able to have a greater sense of your body and what's happening, what is the information your body is giving you. How, for the parent who's listening, maybe this is the first time they've listened to a podcast on parenting, they're like, but Mona, what the heck are you talking about? How is this going to help me parent my kids? How would you answer that question? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Thank you for bringing it, bringing it to the practical because that's what it, what, that's what matters. What, okay. The, the awareness of our body sensations is also is actually called interoceptive awareness interoception is largely subconscious. So like you said, you don't feel your your liver and your kidneys and your stomach. If you, you know, all of those things, we don't actually feel that. Thank goodness. That would be really freaky. But what we can feel is things like a, a tummy clenching, heart rate beating fast, sweaty palms, or basic feelings. Like I feel yucky inside right now, mommy, or you know, I feel good or bad. Those are called basic affects or feelings, basic feelings inside of our body. What, what, um, research is showing what neuroscience is showing is that these basic feelings are actually the foundation for eventually understanding emotional literacy, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. labeling your feelings appears to start with this awareness of your body. And I know some adults um, and many children who can't label a feeling. And there's you know, so much compassion for that. But in the later parts of the book, I talk to parents about how we can start to, the best thing we can do to help our children eventually develop emotional literacy. That is the ability to talk about what they're, what's going on in terms of their feelings and their states rather than acting it out is to slow down with them, is mm-hmm. to notice ourselves, is to help them notice their basic feelings. And um, it can be as simple as, you know, you're driving in the car and uh, a siren goes off and one of your children gets scared and, and, close, and, and um, covers their ears. <clears throat> and you could say, oh my goodness, where did you feel that in your body? And um it's if that's the start. That's the start is this awareness that we can have these sensations and make sense of them. One day it'll help us organize our emotional life.
0: Yes, yes. Oh God, we could just it's like we're going against our time, but I'm like, yes, and then there's so much from there, right? Like as we as we do that, right? And we feel these things and then we become, we can raise a generation who aren't afraid of feeling these sensations in our bodies, right? Whereas like the past yeah. generations, we're just, we generally push it down or avoid it or any discomfort in the body. We, we kind of run away from mentally and physically. And so then we don't have this awareness and we don't have an ability to tolerate discomfort. And there's, that's The ability to tolerate discomfort and to understand that this is a sensation in my body and it's not, I'm okay. It's just a sensation in my body is enormously freeing and helpful in life. It's enormously
1: freeing. And you would not believe the research that's coming out that I talk about um, in Brain Body Parenting is that they are discovering that children and adults with better awareness of their sensations are more self have better levels of self-regulation meaning i can mm. control my emotions and behaviors i am more i'm more in touch with myself i'm healthier so everything we know about mindfulness all those thousands of studies about the health benefits of mindfulness apply and we can even take it further to this a, a gentle awareness of our bodies and really move help our children understand that when they have a behavior, there's likely a sensation or emotion attached, or a sensation or feeling attached to that, that one day they might be able to talk about as as an emotion. But if, Mm. if we ignore it or seclude them when they are feeling that way, it gives them the message that those aren't as important as compliance. And so that's my heart's desire is that parents will understand the beauty of the science coming out in our brain and our body and the wisdom of compassionate awareness.
0: Yay. Oh my goodness. There's so I love this. I love talking to you so much about this, but I'm sure we could get Yay. together and <laughs> like spout off for three hours about this. It's amazing. Um I know I could talk to you today. Um Mona's book is again, brain, body parenting, how to stop managing behavior and start raising joyful, resilient kids. You can find it anywhere books are sold. Um, I want to ask you for if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Oh, um, my website is monadellahook.com and, um, Hook with an E, like I imagine oh, 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 Captain yeah. Hook spells it. Oh <laughs> yeah. Not Captain Hook. Yeah. It's, uh, D Hook with an E. Della Hook with an E at the end
1: <laughs> and um, Dr. Mona Della Hook of Facebook and um, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, yeah. Mona Della Hook, PhD or Dr. Mona Della Hook. So I'm on social too. And I love connecting with parents and I love talking to people like you who truly, you're helping, you're helping parents integrate the mind and the body. It's beautiful. So
0: Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, I just, I also wanted to say, ask like one for, for, is there anything that, you know, we miss for the parent who's saying, oh my goodness, you know, I was like, I was top down. I was yeah. ignoring these quote unquote bad behaviors and, and you're opening my eyes. I'm starting to see this. The, the, that oh my god, a lot of these behaviors I thought were bad or maybe these are maybe actually body motivated behaviors. what how do they start to integrate this into their lives and into their parenting?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you I'm so glad you asked me that. and I, this is very, very important um, because I know the feeling of learning information and thinking, oh my gosh, I did it wrong. Did I, I did something wrong? Did I harm my children? So I would like to say to any parent who might be hearing this is thinking, oh no, I didn't really do that. Or have I harmed them? Please no. The answer to that is no. You did the best you could with the information you had and children are resilient. The most um, powerful news from neuroscience is that our brains are always updating their predictions. So as parents, there's the window never closes to help our child's brain predict safety, predict different things from the world and from us, and we're wired that way. We're not wired to be perfect parents. Humanity would have not survived if that was the case. So I'd say the most important message is one of self-compassion, gentleness on yourself, and realizing that. It's not a matter of getting it right or getting it wrong. It's an ongoing process. Hope Mm. never leaves and your children know you love them. So I hope people leave this, uh, listening to this with hope and warmth and gentleness to yourself and not fear.
0: Yes. Amen. Yes. We we are going to be imperfect no matter what our what our thoughts and strategies. So it's okay. It's okay if you're, you're making. I love that message. I really really appreciate that, Mona. Thank you so much. I really appreciate. I think it's uh, wonderful that you took the time to write the way the books that you've written and to help start to shift this in the in the psychological community start to shift us into being in our bodies i i feel really grateful for the work that you've done and i'm really grateful you took time to come and join us here on the podcast so thank you
1: thank you so much for having me it was really really wonderful
0: to talk to you I hope you loved listening to this conversation as much as I loved having it, I loved talking to Mona. If this kind of thing is something you want to dive into, if you are ready to take it deeper and really make this a priority in your life. should check out the Mindful Parenting membership. This is what we do all the time, and we had some amazing wins recently. I'm gonna give a shout out to some member wins. Daniel meditated and made it to the coaching call to the encouragement of his wife, Katrin, who meditated almost every day. Carrie took the children to the zoo all by herself and managed not to go crazy stressful, and, and it went really, really well. Alana, shout out, has almost finished module two. She meditated. She did five minutes of yoga this week and julia hasn't raised her voice and has worked on assuming positive intent and has been more compassionate with her son all week which is so awesome and one more shout out to amber who also meditated every day this week Woot woot! i love these wins these are some of the things we help you with we help you create habits that study the heart the mind and the nervous system we help you understand and take care of your triggers We really help you make compassion a reflexive way of life, and then we have three amazing modules on communication and mindful problem solving to help you and your partner resolve problems based on needs. And we even help you create an incredible environment that supports all of this learning. So if you want in or you want to know more, go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and get on the waitlist. We'll let you know when we open the doors again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of this community. I hope you loved this episode. If you want to share it on your Instagram stories, definitely tag me at mindful mama mentor. I want to see what your takeaways are and I'm wishing you a beautiful week. I'm wishing you peace and ease and lots more insight and understanding with your child. Now that you've listened to this awesome episode of the great insights from Mona. So thank you so, so much for listening, my friend. I'll see you next week. Namaste.
3: I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you.
4: No matter what age someone's child is, It's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this.
3: You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting.
0: Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for community people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You will be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the wait list. So you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com
3: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do?